Today, we dive into the importance of prioritizing people over processes and how culture changes the way we work. Are you a leader trying to get more from your business and life? Me too. So join me as I document the conversations, stories, and advice to help you achieve what matters in your life. Welcome to Unbound with me, Chris Dubois. Steve Turner is the COO of Beyond Resilience and the president of Flow Business Solution. With 34 years of proven leadership at UPS, Stephen knows that valuing people over processes is key to overcoming business challenges. Having led international finance and operations teams, he understands that while cultures vary, hearts do not. Steve is dedicated to enhancing leadership effectiveness by guiding organizations to lead rather than managing their people. Steve, welcome to Unbound. Thank you very much. I'm glad to be here. All right. Uh, I am glad you're here as well, because we are going to kick off with your origin story. Okay. Um, I started at uh, UPS when I was the ripe old age of 20 years old. And one of the things I had to deal with when I first got started, which really impacted the rest of my life, and that is that the, I knew that the people that reported to me were going to be younger than I was, excuse me, older than I was. And at the age of 20, it matters. When you're 30, 40, 50, nobody cares. So I figured, well, if I'm going to be successful with this uh, group of people, which are all college students, basically, um, I decided I would just treat them the way I would like to be treated. And that has worked since day one and has worked through the 45 years that has followed that. So 34 at UPS and a little over 10 in the entrepreneurial space. And uh, it's, to me, it is just a golden nugget when it comes to leading people that if they can rely on you to where you will treat them like individuals, individuals that we like to develop and build into a better employees and better people for that matter, uh, things always turn out well. That's what I have found anyway. Yeah. Um, it's interesting that you would bring up the age thing right from the start because that was I mean, my start with uh, being in the military, right? Like I came in as second lieutenant, 22 years old. And like yeah. half the people in my unit had been through like multiple combat tours, you know, 10 years yeah. in the service. And they're like, they're looking at you like, really? Are you going <laughs> to? Uh, but when I left active duty, one of, I had a civilian who worked for me who could have been my dad. So I'm like, man, how does it feel? Like <laughs> just yeah. joking around, but, uh, but yeah, awesome. But who would have thought that the golden rule would actually apply? That's weird. Yeah. <laughs> He said yeah, sarcastically. It has and has all the time, forever, even, even in different locations. Because I spent five years in Europe with UPS, and I covered uh, 11 different countries there in the different roles that I had. And I learned something really valuable. And you mentioned it in the introduction. Cultures vary, but hearts do not. People are the same all over. If you treat them well, with respect and, you know, honor and uh, develop them, lead them, whatever, it works all the time. Right. It's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> um, actually, I just want to get into the, the international piece of this. What are, what are some of the things you did notice about culture and leadership, right? Obviously, treating people like people uh, tends to have good results. But what were some of the kind of nuances that you had to pick up on in order just to get in the door and get the team moving in the yeah. right direction? That's a very good question. One of the things that as you move around the countryside, now I happen to uh, cover 
the countries uh, in the Nordic countries. So I had Norway, Denmark, Sweden, Finland. Then I came down through Austria, Belgium, the Netherlands, uh, Greece, and Turkey, and Ireland on the other side. And they do vary. One of the things uh, that I learned quickly in the Nordic countries, for example, um, specifically in Denmark, because this is where I discovered this, people don't like overtime too much because they value going home at night and spending time with their families. So rather than spending an extra hour and a half delivering packages at UPS, they'd rather be home. So that was just a, a in one of those realities of working in that country, that that's the whole culture is that way. So, you know, you can't go in there and, and try to disrupt the culture because the one getting disrupted will be us. So another example, uh, Germany, Germans tend to be uh, pretty structured in what they do. They are excellent at following, following procedures and almost to the degree where I wasn't used to that rigid of following procedures because, you know, I train people that this is the process of getting a job done. But, you know, if you run into a snag, roll up your sleeves and do your best to work through it. And they had a tendency to stopping. And they wouldn't move on because the next step wasn't to do something different. And um, I had, uh, I spent time in Germany teaching uh, people, this is, a, I was in finance and accounting then, teaching them billing procedures and what have you. And it was like a light went off in the leader over there when he finally understood where I was coming from in that we need to be willing to encourage people to, that they're, they have the opportunity and the freedom to go beyond the procedure to accomplish the, over to, the overall objective of the job. And uh, all of a sudden he got it. He's like, wait, I got it. I got it. And, and that was the end of that. Uh, when you move further south, the further south you go, the later dinner starts. It also means their day starts early, later. So, um, you know, just different things. And uh, it lead, you know, tends to drive your conversation so that you can communicate with somebody and talk about something that's important to them. You know, not always, it's not always about the job. And if you consider the rest, the job always goes better. Awesome. Yeah. It's fascinating uh, stuff. So I guess now looking globally, what are some of those biggest like leadership mistakes that you've seen companies make that start to like disengage some of the employees? Well, this can go all the way back to, this is a long answer to your question. If you go all the way back to the beginning of the current management style that we have in this country, it went all the way back to the beginning of the Industrial Revolution in 1850, when the farmers came off the farm and worked, moved into the factories. And now instead of them being 100% control of their lives, basically, you know, on their farms, somebody else started telling them what to do. And... When that happens, there is a tendency to forget about the fact that it's people that still do the work. So the the issue that we've had for decades, and this, this has been around since the Industrial Revolution, where we have not given enough consideration to the fact that it's people that do the work. Now, we know that because six years after it started, the first labor union showed up. And those labor unions showed up as a result of people wanting to have a little more say in their life. And we get into the uh, 1895 area 
we have a gentleman named Frederick Winslow Taylor, who is probably recognized as the first industrial engineer in the Amer- in the United States. There's nothing wrong with industrial engineers. UPS has a, a great group of uh, industrial engineers. But again, the focus was to run a business by numbers. Now, there's nothing wrong with numbers because numbers tell you if you've succeeded or not. And where do you need to make adjustments? But as, as leaders go through the number process of establishing numbers for the purpose of establishing business goals, et cetera, and that uh, message comes down through the ranks, when it gets to the, the frontline supervisor, which is, in my opinion, is one of the more difficult jobs in a business because that person has to take the number message and convert it into an inspirational message so that the people that actually execute the work do it willingly. And that's very possible. It's just that it hasn't been done. The training hasn't been there. And then, of course, as we know, processes and leadership styles tend to replicate themselves. So the next generation comes in under the previous generation, and the thing just keeps rolling. Now, one of the signs of this is that there's a statistic that that the Gallup organization has produced since 1990. And it says that 85% of employees are not fully engaged in their work. And that is a direct reflection on the leadership team. And I could talk about, I could take up the whole half an hour talking about this without you asking a question, which I'm sure that's not your intent. But anyway, it's, it's a reflection of the fact that leaders are not leading people, they're managing them instead. Systems, processes, and procedures should be managed. People should be led. And we're created to be led as well. Yeah. And so how do you recommend people move, like shift their mindset, right, from managing resources to leading people? Well, the first thing is to understand that there's a difference. And if, if so, the first step really is whenever I'm working with people and teaching them this, the first place of examination is the leader themselves, the manager themselves, as far as uh, where's their priorities? What do they focus on? Um, what's important? And one of the pieces of the puzzle that's missing very often is the people piece. That when you bring people on board and you train new people, there is a very, very successful way that that should be done. And if leaders would follow that process, it replicates itself as the employee grows in the business. So the first thing is that the leader themselves has to understand there's a difference and understand the impacts of the difference and the fruit of it. So that's what we start with. So before I teach anybody anything about communicating with employees, we start with an examination of what is a leader's role. And it, the process allows the manager to really think about, well, how do I, how am I doing with that? Right. And you can, you can very successfully move people to see a different, a, a different way of doing things because nobody does anything different unless they realize there's a difference and the importance of uh, looking at things differently. Yeah. Right. One of the sayings that has been resonating with me lately is that you can't change what you tolerate. And a that, lot of times that yeah. just comes from not knowing there's another way. Right. And as soon as you know it, it's like, 
oh, like, yeah, I don't want to tolerate this. <laughs> yeah. Um, so there, there's, there's too much, um, there's too much confrontation when there doesn't have to be. You can have, um, you know, positive co- communication with people and, and treat, you know, train them and fix things and what have you. Um, it's just a better way. Yeah. Well, and so one of the ways you, you could probably get that assessment, right. Is just getting feedback from your team, um, to see, you know, getting that honest feedback, which often sometimes hard if you don't have the right culture to get the honest part. <laughs> um, but what are some of the things you would recommend okay. making that happen? One of the, you've, you've really touched on something very, very significant here. And that is that people don't change anything unless they know for sure there's something wrong. Now, the one thing is that, that le- leaders need to know the views of their people. They can't rely on what they think the view is because it's likely wrong. Because who wants to think negatively of, of the people that report to us, right? So the first thing is to do is to have an assessment process. And I have to say UPS was really good at this. UPS had an, an, an employee assessment every year. And over the years, it developed better managers because they looked, they were given the views of their employees at least once a year. Now, when you take that information and then you start working with people, you get the views more often because you can you can read how relationships change. So anyway, back to the assessment. Once the, the leaders have an assessment done with uh, of their people, and you can do them very discreetly and very effectively, that when they get the bottom line, say, oh, my God, I didn't think of that, or I didn't know that was an issue. You can then take those issues and you can say, well, I'm over here, but I'd rather be over here. And then you just we put together a strategic plan to get from one to the other. And the challenge part of this is, um, is people understanding the process of the shift. And it's, it can all be done. I've done it many times. But obviously, first, you have to be willing to want to do it. And then once you go through the process, establish the uh, strategic plan to get from here to there, we then have KPIs in place and routine uh, processes by which we continue to confirm that changes have been made. Now, the CEO wants to know that answer. So if you're in a large organization where the CEO tends to be a little bit separated from the day-to-day work, that the CEO needs to know the thing's working. So we we put uh, KPIs in, in place to give him the inf- him or her the information that he or she needs on a continual basis to make sure it's working. So I want to shift gears back to working with like individuals. So you get different cultures that you can work with. We got different generations of people now within the workforce. Um, Obviously treating people like people is going to work, but what are some of the ways that you've had to kind of figure out just how to actually reach people at the place that they're at? Um, especially when it comes to like generations, the believe it or not, the the process really comes down to communicating with uh, individuals, and you'll find out what's important to them. Now we know that there are certain characteristics as we go through the generations, right? And 
if I don't have the material with me right here, but when you look at the descriptions of each of the generations, you can see logically why they are what they are because it's a natural progression from the previous one. So now you can, you still need to understand where does each individual fit inside the model? What's important to the person? And the only way you're going to know that is if you use these things, there's two of these and one of these, and if you use them uh, proportionally the same, you do more listening than talking, you'll discover what you need to know. You'll discover what makes people tick, what's important to them. Um, maybe somebody, you know, they've got, you know, they like having a big family, so they've got five kids, and uh, we know that would, that would tend to take a lot of attention from uh, an employee. Uh, maybe they like sports. And if you know that uh, somebody likes football, it's a great topic of conversation. So it really comes down to um, knowing the individual as well. Now, we know in this generation that there is there seems to be an, an enhanced concern for um, quality of life. Um, when you go back to the generation I came out of, which I was a baby baby boomer, uh, we were really focused on you know getting work done and being successful. And then our kids came out, and the, the each set of each generation tries to buck the previous generation one way or the other, and then they create something new. But at the end of the day, it's still people working with people getting things done. And that fact hasn't changed at all. You just go generation to generation and work it through. Now, I've been around long enough where I've touched more than one generation. But at the end of the day, we're still people. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess what are some of your tips for communicating um, and just kind of building trust through leadership with your teams? Okay. Uh, one of the most important things is, first of all, to have meetings with people with your team. Now I'm going to I'm going to point I'm going to paint an exaggerated an exaggerated situation here just to prove a point. If the manager happens to have been such a hard manager to where you could describe the person as wearing a black cloak, right? They just had zero people skills, didn't talk to people at all, right? And now they got that reputation. Well, when the time comes that somebody decides that they need to shift gears and be a little bit more personable. The first step would be, and this is a bold step, by the way, you bring, you get your group together and you basically humble yourself and you say, I would like to have an opportunity to talk with you periodically, you know, once a month or so, and just get your ideas on what's happening around here. And do you have any questions? Good. Because at the end of the day, the employee knows their job better than the manager does. The manager knows the way it's supposed to be done, but the employee deals with the nuances of the day. If there's a problem, they have to deal with it, right? The manager sitting in the office doesn't know what's going on unless the employee says something. So it's those nuances the leader uh, should know what they are so the leader can possibly do something to help the employee and this is where you start to experience a transition. But going back to the first meeting, 
it's very possible that the first meeting a, a leader has, the employees aren't going to say a thing because they still know, they, they remember you from the black cloak days, right? And just because a leader comes in and sits down and says, I want to talk to you, they're not going to say anything. They don't have the confidence yet. So the first meeting could be very one-sided and it may be very short. But you say thank you and you say, we'll get together in a couple of weeks and then schedule the next meeting. Well, the next time we get together, now it's the second time. So maybe this is the guy's real. Maybe this is a real change. So somebody will bring up a couple of things. Probably the more, the more bold people of the group will say something. The most important thing that the manager can do at that point in time, find something that they can put into place. Find something that the employees suggested and the manager does it. Whatever it is, even if it means bigger cups at the water cooler, it doesn't matter what it is. But as soon as the manager does something that came from an employee suggestion, now the door is open. And now it will relatively quickly pick up. By the time you get to the third month of this, it's a new atmosphere now. So I just described to people that, that need to make the big shift that instead of putting on a white cloak, start wearing white tennis shoes first. In other words, start the process, take the steps necessary to break the mold, because believe it or not, the employees want the change. And if they see it, they'll run with it as well. Yeah, I think that was a, that was a lesson that they captured in, in Ted Lasso. I'm not sure if you've watched the show. But he, uh, he showed if you haven't, um, very good leadership lessons in the show. But he puts out a suggestion box, and someone put down like, "Hey, the the shower head pressure is terrible," and and he fixes the shower head, um, you know, when nobody else knew. And so, just a great great way to build trust right right from the start. Um, so, okay, let's talk uh, decision making and micromanagement. How, as a leader, you can come in and actually empower your team to make these decisions to, or even collaborate with you for the decisions you have to make without feeling like you're just overbearing and, you know, telling them what needs to happen. Well, you got two things here. Number one, you can have just the normal decisions of the day, right? There's whatever they are. Now, then there's also the, the, the problem that shows up that requires a decision. Now, leaders, should empower their people to use a, a somewhat of a standard uh, uh, problem-solving process that the leader should define. And it could vary slightly based on whatever the business is. But if certain areas tend to have issues, then he, should, he or she should talk about the best way to analyze a problem and then let them do it. Let them make, an, let them make a mistake. We learn by mistakes as well as doing things great, right? And it is a, it's a confidence builder in people if the leader will accept their decision from it dealing with an issue, right? If they make a mistake, okay, pick up the pieces and keep moving. But, you know, the, the, the micromanaging that goes on because leaders are afraid to let somebody else make a decision. I just had a con con conversation about this with somebody on this yesterday. 
how they work for a micromanager and it was just no fun. Because every time you wanted to do something different, you had to get an approval, right? People understand what the job is, how it needs to be done, and what the result should be. So if if we give people the the opportunity to work and do the right thing, it'll work. Now, here's here's uh, let me just describe this. I challenge people to to live in a model that looks like this, that you've got the leader and you've got their team members. And as a leader, you support the team, develop the team, and then let them do their work. And I got to go to to Ronald Reagan here. Ronald Reagan made a made a comment that I think is really um, applicable. He said, "Surround yourself with good people and let them do their work." Now, people are good two ways. They have natural skills, and then they have learned skills. Both are sources of enhancing the good level, as he was referring to it. But the developing of the good, the good to be successful and allowing the employee to grow a little bit. I mean, that is a very positive environment to work in. And I encourage people to let people, you know, have a chance to, you know, make a decision, stumble, pick up and keep moving. At the end of the day, everything's better. Yeah. I actually, uh, I just wrote an article on this calling it the, the business's center of gravity where it's, it's either the business is centered around the leader where they're generally micromanaging, they're doing everything themselves or the bottleneck versus the team being the center of gravity where now your capacity has expanded. The team's working together, collaborating, they're doing all these great things. Um, so I, I mean, it fits exactly into what you're, what you just explained. Um, so you, you get a lot more done. Ronald Reagan for sure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so what are some of the ways that you have worked with, with leaders, clients, anyone to, and even just your own teams, right. To, uh, encourage like innovation and kind of avoid the stagnation that generally comes from like just complacency and, you know, the team doing the same thing day in, day out. Well, generally speaking, my, my approach is be, be free to come up with new ideas. Um, in in a small business, you can kind of get away with this because the, the one of the nature, one of the characteristics of a small business is regardless of what somebody's job is, they have to be willing to roll up their sleeves and do something else. Because if you have 10 people, let's, now let's say five, if you have five people and one of them's gone, you've lost 20% of your workforce. That means those other 80% that are there have to roll up their sleeves to get the job done with you know, 20% less people in a given day. That only succeeds if people have the ability and are released to be able to do other things. So it's 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 funny, when I interviewed anybody in the small business environment, that was one of the requirements. Said, I'm hiring you for this reason, but are you willing to do different things because of the nature of a small business? Everybody's got to roll up their sleeves and get it done. And as long as they say yes, it's a good situation because they're going to have the opportunity to demonstrate the yes. Now, when I like people to try new things, 
as long as they don't lose focus on the objective, right? Because you can't have you can't have ten people doing the same thing ten different ways. All right, you need to have some standardization uh, in in the business, but that doesn't mean you don't try new things, because there are better ways to do things, but it's got to be done in a, a bit of an orderly fashion. You know, if somebody has a suggestion. Now let's try, give it a try, and I, I they work almost all the time because they do the work and they know it works better. Yeah. Awesome. Steve, I want to hit you with uh, our three final questions. Um, okay. Man, this has been, yeah, great. I feel like this episode's just flown by. Um, so first one being, what book do you think everyone should read? Well, my number one book is always the Bible. The number two book, there's a book that's written by James Clear. It's called Atomic Habits. And one of the things when management people start to shift their gear a little bit and look at things a little bit differently, there are mindset issues here. So his book, Atomic Habits, talks about um, changing habits. And it's it's really good on covering mindset shifts. And there there is a mindset difference. And you can do it, you can struggle with it, or you can just, you know, analyze what you're doing, determine where you're going, and leverage the principles that he has in his, in his book. So he really takes and teaches people how to move in a different direction without losing who you are. It just, it's a different mm-hmm. habit. Yeah. And yeah, I would agree. Great book. Um, it's actually, I think, one of the most recommended books by our guests. And so, yeah. But uh, next question, what is next for you professionally? Well, we are actually working on a huge project right now. Um, I was in corporate America, UPS, for 34 years. Then I moved into the entrepreneurial space. And I have joined up with another person that came up through the corporate ranks, but in a from a different direction. Uh, she wrote, rose up in the projects perspective. So she was involved at AT&T when wireless first came out. So we are taking um, our experiences over all this time, and we are going back into corporate America to change the way people do things. And we're we're in the process of putting this together. I have a massive vision for this, and showed us, so does she. We made this together. And the vision is this, to go out there and change the lives of as many people as possible. And I'm talking millions. Now, to change millions of lives takes a multiplication factor in what we do. So as we get rolling, we're going to be working with um, – I haven't told this to anybody, so you're getting this first shot. We're going to be working with businesses to help them specifically, but we're also going to be working and training people to be able to multiply the uh, the impact and reach as many people as quickly as possible. Because one thing about has come out of this last few few years, we've heard of the great resignation that came out from the uh, pandemic era. Well, It so happens that the great resignation really demonstrated what we talked about earlier today. And that is that people have did not like the environment they were working in. So when they had a chance to work from home, they didn't want to come back. 
there's a lesson in this, right? That is to to have an environment that's a little bit more uh, amenable to people, more fun, and develop people as individuals. That is a very common thread through all of this in all industries, that when people are developed as individuals, they will go higher. Your The commitment of your team will be greater. Your results will be better. Your turnover will be much less. It costs $34,000 to replace an employee on average in the United States. How long does it take before you burned $100,000? Wasted. Wasted, really. Because employees leave managers. They don't leave companies. It's the people they're leaving. So if we change the management style so people don't want to flee, businesses will save millions of dollars. If you could just imagine this, a 1,000-member organization will spend $3.2 million replacing people every single year, of which most of them should never have been lost in the first place. Now, as a business leader, I would rather put $1.6 billion or half of that money in an investment to grow the business rather than putting it in a place I should never have had to in the first place. So that's what's coming from. And that's the reason we're doing all this. We want to change the lives of employees at all levels of an organization. Because as much as we can easily focus on the people with the feet in the street, the management people have to learn how to do this. If they, It's got through the whole organization. So this really is a top-down issue in organizations. So that's the answer to your question. Change the world. Yeah. All right. Looking looking forward to yeah seeing that. Um, oh my! <laughs> last question is uh yeah where can people find you? Well, you can find me at um, our website, which is www.flow-business-solution-singular.com. You can find me at my email ID is Steve at flow-business-solution.com. I'm also at LinkedIn, which may be the easiest place to find me because you can just go to LinkedIn and then go forward slash SW Turner is my extension at link at LinkedIn. And uh, our, our office phone number is 267-753-5568. 267-753-5568. And that's where I am. Awesome. Steve, thanks for uh, thanks for joining me today. This is that's uh, a pleasure. Great. I love talking about this. You can probably tell. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cheers. If you enjoyed today's episode, I would love a rating and review on your favorite podcast player. And for more information on how to build effective and efficient teams through your leadership, visit leadingforeffect.com. As always, deserve it.